All right, mister, I want to tear off a tirade. Okay, tirade away. <laughs> so uh, in the news lately, there's been a lot about ChatGPT oh, and yes, ChatGPT. Dolly um, and various other things. So these are AI, artificial intelligence generations of language in the case of GPT. Uh, three no GPT chat, chat GPT chat chat GPT and um, and art in the case of Dolly and other such things and everyone is so super excited about them and how amazing they are and how you can like in Chat GPT you can go in and type prompts and it will uh, compose all sorts of stuff for you or and Dolly will if you say uh, paint me give me a badger wearing sunglasses playing basketball in the style of Leonardo da Vinci. And it will do that for you. Yeah. It might take a few prompts, but you should get there. And, you know, lots of people are ooing and eyeing about yeah. the amazement Well, I mean, amazement it, frankly, it. It, it, it's, it's impressive and it's cool. You know, if I were, you know, especially a kid, I would think, this is freaking awesome. You know, I can type in names of my friends and their quirks and then I get this funny picture. I mean, it's fun, 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 fun. Right. Right. So... The tirade part comes in here for me um, on two different levels. Uh, The first is the economic level, but the second one is the basically what is actually a human being and what is intelligence level. Yeah, well, I mean, let's just be honest here and that what people are calling AI, artificial intelligence, it's not human intelligence. It's It's not even intelligence. Intelligence is really not the right word. I think tech people have been... Obsessed with AI since, you know, Blade Runner and before. <laughs> um, and the Turing tests and all the sort of um, uh, ways of testing whether something is real, whether it's human, when will we have general AI, when will we be able to upload our brains to the... Um, <laughs> to right. the well, they, they have a, th- those people have a lot of philosophical and religious disorders, which we can we can get to. Well, yes, Brad, but just just to un- unravel with just the word uh, artificial. Okay, everybody recognizes that so it's not real human el- human intelligence. It's some kind of artificial intelligence, but it's not really intelligence in the way that's that humans think. It's a statistical um, model, is what it is. So it's that's what the intelligence is. It's taken a huge amount of data. In the case of Google and their images, you know, they've got all the images people, the millions and billions of images people are loading up every day. It's kind of ingesting those. Uh, it's categorizing them, um, giving them keywords. And in the case of Dolly, it's matching those key. It knows what it's know, knows what, say, you know, a moose is. And then so you say a moose, you know, with sunglasses and it knows what sunglasses are. It's able to do that. And it's able to do that because um, there's been a lot of these algorithms have been um, churning through all this information and generating uh, st- statistical models, prediction models. Yeah, I think Kevin Kelly calls it artificial smartness. He thinks that's a better way of, of just yeah. a better native English word for it. Right, because they're able to do the stuff that we can't do as humans. I mean, the, the, let's just be honest, we can't churn through all of written the written uh, heritage of humanity in an afternoon. I mean, we just can't do that. Now, on the other hand, um, this artificial smartness doesn't really understand anything. There's no understanding. No, there's no really. It does not understand. There is no understanding process going no. on. But I want to start with the economic thing before we get to the, the human thing, because I think this is an important starting place. It is clear that in the whole entire process of industrialization, that there's been a way of taking away work 
from people and giving it to machines. And that right. original Luddite critique is we are weavers. We have over centuries even figured out how to make thread and how to arrange it on a warp and weft and how to uh, build a loom and how to make the cloth. And now some somebody with a lot of money but no embodied tradition of weaving comes along, turns it into a machine. We all lose our jobs. That's why they went ballistic. Right. Now, it's very common today to say things like, well, you know, but who would want all of us to be dependent on handwoven cloth that makes cloth incredibly expensive? And aren't there better things for traditional weavers to do than weave? And actually, there are still traditional weavers around, and they can command a good a, a price for a handwoven cloth, but all the rest of us can get cheap uh, automatic woven cloth on, you know, impressive robotic looms now. So no big deal. So this is kind of the way it's often um, excused. I think, though, there, what you see there, there's already with the, the Luddite issue, there is a transition in scale. So, like, the amount of cloth that can be generated clearly was beneficial to lots of people who struggled literally to clothe themselves. Like, this yeah. is clearly, like, addressing a basic human problem of, you know covering up <laughs> at, yeah. at a reasonable price. Well, like you just read Charles Dickens novel, novels and you know that there are people who literally did not have enough cloth to cover all their children. Yeah, right? well, and it wore out. Uh, it was, and all cloth, even the best woven cloth, is going to eventually wear out and uh, you, have, you need to put patches on it and um, uh, there's a finite life. And so right. having not just enough um, to cover yourself once, but maybe several times and maybe more, maybe more layers, uh, that's obviously, and having that for orders of magnitude more cheap uh, more uh, at a lower price than previously was obviously a, a great benefit to um, everybody. Right. What's happening now, though, I think is like like a whole nother explosion on the scale because, like you said, uh, a program can read in quotes all human literature ever generated and draw out of it. Right. And so, you know, they're they're not good yet, but you can tell Chat GPT. Uh, write a 40,000-word novel in the style of Stephen King and feed it into other sort of things, and it will come up with something. It won't be great, but it'll be a start. For much, from what I understand, for much smaller things, it works a little bit better. Uh, people are using it as like for like copywriting or something. Right. I, I think probably just because of what copywriting is, that's an easier thing to imitate. Or, I, I imagine novel. that a lot of basic legal texts, for example, like a, a most people's will is just boilerplate. There's nothing special about it. In fact, you don't want it to be special because that would put it up for um, it would make it weird. It would make it odd in the law. It wouldn't have a precedent. Right. Uh, the language would be, wouldn't be able to be interpreted in the same way. So a lot of things are um, um, uh, fit for certain kinds of this. And in fact, they're already doing that already. A lot of legal contracts are just generated automatically right. by, there's already, already software that does that. Right. I think it's really important to point out that copywriting and legal writing are by their nature algorithmic. That is, there are very specific, even rigid patterns that yeah. they follow. Well, the rigid, because there, there's been a precedent. In, in, in the, the common law tradition of Britain and America, um, and um, Australia, New Zealand, and other places, Canada, in that common law tradition, there's been a precedent set. And so they're going to stick with that precedent. Right. The problem is, once you move out outside those very rigid kinds of writing that need to be highly consistent from iteration to iteration, basically, there is no copyright protection whatsoever. So yeah. all of the, the chat GPT is trained on an, a huge body of literature, most of which 
is not out in public domain usage and has not been had the rights granted to use it. So it's a hundred- and even even if and even if you did make it illegal to train this on things that were under copyright, there'd be no way to enforce it. <laughs> Because the whole thing is it's generating something new. And I've heard people even say, well, like, I read lots of Stephen King novels and I write horror now in the Stephen King style. So what's the difference between my brain and the AI brain processing the same data? Um, this will lead to the humanistic critique. But you can right. see where the economic thing is. It's once again another case where a whole area of human work is being stolen. So writing is one thing. It actually bothers me a whole lot more with visual arts right. because um, visual art is already right, so, expensive. So just, just, just to clarify for me here. Like, So, for example, Amazon's books, they digitize everything. Um, Google Books digitizes everything. So are these is this chat GBT uh, and a lot of the stuff is still in, still stuff that's still under copyright has all of that stuff been released to whoever makes the chat GPT so they have not only things that are um, publicly scraped from the web and newspapers and all the things that are already open on the internet or, or is it true that the entire Amazon catalog or all of Google Books are just uploaded to these things as well whether they're copyrighted or not uh- if there is, they probably wouldn't tell us. But honestly, if you are training a gigantic AI text generator, would you deliberately cut off access to anything? No. Yeah, and the, I, but I, the point yeah. is that it's will be very hard to trace and prove, right? Because the whole point is that it's generating something quote unquote new. Right. And to say that it is the same thing as a human brain that's read lots of novels and then writes a new novel is such a fundamental misunderstanding both of the scale of what's going on as well as the difference between how artificial intelligence and human intelligence actually work. So what I was going to say is it troubles me even more in the case of the visual arts because it is very clear that even more than with the text-based ones, the image-based ones are just ripping everything visual off the internet. I mean, obviously there's already been lots of loss of control control over images online Um, but like people are are doing this and like getting results that still have like the original you know watermark on it the artist's name (laughs) there's just whole scale theft taking place and if you are good with photoshop and you don't have the artist is not at their personal scale able to scan everything be very easy to just thieve away all sorts of visual art and technically it is new right Right. So I, I think this is there's I have several reactions to this. One uh, one is um, a kind of uh, throw up your hands and inevitable uh, one, and that if you have images and text that are open on the internet for scrapers to grab, and you want it to be able to be readable by people, um, there's really nothing you can do to stop things from ingesting it like Google, for example, all of the search engines, not just Google, but every single search engine is indexing the whole internet or most of it. Right. Um, so uh, the scraping, of, we, 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 in, in this sense, the way the internet has devolved or evolved into this um, sites search dichotomy um, with the indexing, it seems, I don't know what other technical options there are right now that of that. The other thing is is that that there um, there are clearly a lot of we're in legal gray area. This just this it's unprecedented, and clearly of one of what one of the things that's going to happen, um, and I think has to happen. Um, I don't know if it has or not. Is um, 
there to be some kind of a suit, some kind of a, um, a legal um, legal process brought against somebody or other about this pro- about this as a breach of intellectual property law. Now, if you're seeing watermarks and it, you know, that is one thing. But it is also true there are like fair use uh, rules about all kinds of images. You're not, you, if you adapt an image, you know, that's okay. You can copy, you know, if you paint um, Leonardo's, um, if you okay, paint Leonardo's them, dead, so that's not a good example. <laughs> right, but if you paint a Rothko or whatever right. in his style, I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's, that's legal. Right. If you but, try but, to pass it off as him, that's a different thing. No, but I think, see, I think this is exactly the problem is equating AI with human intelligence right. and also with human scale. Right. Because humans at their scale cannot do, and those laws were written for right. the human scale, not for the AI scale. Right. So what do you, I mean, what, I, I'm, I'm still, I, I still am trying to wrap my mind around what actually you do. Well, I think the first thing you do is you tell people that this amazing new thing is based on theft. I think that's actually a, a basic first moral point right. to make, is that this is not something that everybody has opted into. This has been based on theft. Now, you can use it in ways. For example, what you could do is say, is is train one of these, you know, I don't know, neural networks or whatever, only on 19th century English novels. Those are all in the public domain now. Right. There's no copyright attached to any of them anymore you could use that and see what kind of fun things write me john Eyre. (laughs) (laughs) yeah right there you go there you go or another thing is i think you could probably use something like smart contracts and have visual artists or musicians or writers today license out their body of work Mm. for people to use and then for each each um iteration of it right. on chat gpt or dolly or whatever right. they would get some kind of micro payments right. and that it would be attached to it you could create economic and legal systems around this yeah but again i think the problem of the scale is so enormous right. that um actually incentivizing the the forces behind this to do the right thing is mm. going to be very difficult to do yeah it's going to be very te- and technically difficult especially now that the data in some way is already out there um there's no nobody's taking new data. This is all old data. Right. Um, but now here's the interesting part, and this might actually be why this is not a problem. But I'm still going to tirade about it, <laughs> which is that a lot of the excitement is premised on the basic mistake that AI is somehow analogous to human intelligence, and it simply is not. Uh, I would want to recommend to all of our listeners a fantastic book by a German named Gerd Gigerenzer. It's called How to Stay Smart in a Smart World. You should read everything he wrote, actually. Um, but it's a really good discussion of what AI actually is and what by its very nature it can and cannot do. And for me, kind of the the penny dropped when he was um, showing us uh, in the book, he shows those CAPTCHAs, you know, it's when uh, to verify that you are a human and not a robot, you have to like select all the pictures that have a crosswalk in it or a motorcycle or a school school bus bus. or a boat or right. And see, the thing is, it's because of with your animal intelligence based on eyeballs and a brain, you perceive pictures. But actually, AI does not perceive pictures. And this is really hard for people to get. AI does not perceive anything. AI works on statistical analysis. So Gigerenzer shows this identify the school bus out of this selection of options. As a human, as a very small human, you instantly know which the school bus is. The AI chose a series of six uh, 
uh, six black and six orange stripes side by side. It was so incredibly comically wrong. Right. But it's wrong because we perceive. The reason the AI chose it is because it doesn't perceive. It analyzes statistically, and it knows that there is X percent there, black and X percent orange in a school bus, and those stripes and, perfectly fit its predictive well, model. Well, the black is X percent away from from the the yellow, which is X percent as white as the black. You know, there's enough enough of those things match up, and it thinks, okay, good enough, match. Right, exactly. So um, as I've been listening to, especially the the writer community reflect on mm. AI, there and a lot of this. There's been a lot of like boosterism and excitement yeah. and uh, there was one person in particular I, I was listening to who was originally making the argument well like I put lots of novels through my brain how is it any different to put it through an AI brain um, which uh, to me is just kind of an <laughs> insane argument but then this writer said he actually spent some time with it and what he realized and like this but th this is the whole point right here but what he realized is that AI can only give back to you what already exists. And if you think AI is giving you something new, what is it only doing is randomly throwing things together that your perceiving human brain can do something with because it's excited by simply because your human brain right. hasn't put them together. So as possibly a brainstorming tool, it can do something, but only by accident. But then this writer went on to say, uh, he co-writes with a very famous thriller author. He went on to say that he had a brainstorming session with this other person. And it was phenomenal because a person is capable of coming up with genuinely new stuff and having genuinely exciting new ideas. And at that point, he realized like, oh, this AI stuff is totally overrated. But I think that was the point at which he finally got so-called artificial intelligence is not intelligence. It's right. just a statistical remix of everything that already exists. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think w w this is obviously not the end of this. I think as long as people are putting uh, uh, our digital images and creations out into the world in a way that is accessible to uh, indexers and scrapers, this is going to continue to happen. I think there will be probably some legal decisions made about how to integrate something like this into existing intellectual property law, um, how to maybe reformulate intellectual property law or privacy uh, law in some way or another to, to do this. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not that excited by it the way some people seem to be. Um, uh, every um, couple of years, it seems like there's a new thing that's going to totally transform the world, and um, it hasn't yet, and I think well, it'll be hard to predict what that's going to be ahead of time. Um, I remember five years ago or ten years ago, everybody assumed, assumed we'd be driving in, in autonomous cars by now, but that seems not to have happened. That's because of the moral quandary. Of well, no, not just the moral die. quandary. It's just they just don't seem to be that great when there's a lot of very difficult decisions to make. Right. They're fine in, in simple environments. So Gigerenzer makes this point. Right. Uh, he calls there are wicked environments and then there are um, predictable environments. So right. maybe staying in your lane on the interstate highway is okay most of the time. Uh, maybe um, driving through crowded streets with bicycles and people and baby carriages is a different matter. Okay, but see, this this is exactly the linkage point, and this is this is back to the tirade part right. of my show, right. which is that another wicked environment is pretty much every single human interaction. Right. And so another thing, <laughs> so you can take the AI for a brainstormer or not, whatever. It doesn't matter that much. And you might find that a human is better. But what I've also heard people talking about is using 
ChatGPT to help you write a business letter or even an apology letter to your girlfriend or an appeal to your parents to increase your allowance or whatever right. it may right. be. And um, of course, everyone says you should edit it afterwards to make sure right. that it's true. Right. But what actually this is, this is a powerful social etiquette homogenizer. Right. So actually this is again very anti-human. Right. It's taking all of the existing stuff out there and determining by its own statistical analysis this is what a good apology letter to your girlfriend sounds like. Right. And then that itself becomes the standard. Well, And, and then uh, you um, as the so-called writer don't have to go through the process of writing the apology letter, which in fact is the other half of the equation that's totally missing. The purpose of the apology letter is actually not to deliver the best rhetorical apology. The purpose of it is in fact to work on yourself as you are doing it, and then the, the letter becomes the symbol of that actual human reconciliation. Makes me think of that movie Her, um, oh, right, where yeah. the guy um, uh, had a job writing letters for people because everybody had forgotten how to um, to write, and it was his job. He he used he used a kind of statistical algorithm with his own a little bit of creative juice to um, write personal letters for right. for other people. So it both incentivizes social homogenization. Right due to what an algorithm decides is the correct version of everything, it dehumanizes us because then instead of apologizing, we just generate an apology letter. But I think the most troubling thing for me is something I learned from Jaron Lanier, who is a you know, big hero for us disentanglers here, which he says is that there is something weird about humans that we make ourselves stupid to make our tech look smart. Right. And he's been seeing this from the very beginning of the creation of the internet, way back when. He was there, you know, in its early days. And he uses a lot of examples of the way in which we stupidify ourselves mm. in order to make our tech look good. And you know what I, I'm primed by Lanier in this respect, but I think a lot of the enthusiasm about these things are from people who are deliberately not seeing that if actually a person generated that text, mm. you would immediately know there was something deeply wrong with them. Like, actually, they were saying how, you know, it's like uh, if you haven't write a term paper, it's all BS from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. Right. Or if you ask them to give a literary analysis or to talk, it'll be fine. And then some, suddenly something really weird will come out. If a human being sounds lucid and then suddenly comes out with something seriously yeah. weird, you are immediately twigged like, oh, my gosh, what is going on Well, here? that's that's one of the marks of schizophrenia. Uh, and and yes, um, AI is schizophrenic <laughs> by definition. And so I I, re I remember reading uh, a couple of years ago um, this uh, book on the hemispheres of the brain, um, and it, saying that in fact schizophrenia is a modern uh, diagnosis. It doesn't seem to have existed before the 19th um, century, uh, and it has only grown through the 20th. And there's something about schizophrenia that's fixated on the left side of the brain and this modeling side of the brain as opposed to the right side which is more holistic um, uh, so in a way the thing is computers or let's say AI is actually a perceptual disorder a deliberate perceptual disorder to achieve a certain end right it, so right. if humans goal-oriented and powerful in that way for creating so you tell Dali to tell, write, make you an image of a moose wearing sunglasses riding a skateboard, and it will, you know, will do that for you. And it has the goal in mind, um, but that's actually one of its uh, it becomes its deficit because it doesn't see the whole picture. It doesn't see well, this thing doesn't really exist, or where does it fit in the whole story? It's just a funny image. It's just this isolated thing. 
and it's it's made a model that isn't the real thing because m- meese <laughs> mooses don't wear sunglasses or ride skateboards and yeah. so um uh but the children's author who used to illustrate the book about that is now out of work <laughs> but i'm more concerned mm-hmm. about how the wow factor of this is going to further encourage humans today to adopt the perceptual disorder right. that is represented by by cyber tech because we're so bowled over by it. But that ends up it, it, we end up internalizing it as our standard. Well, and we don't see how marvelous we are um, when in, the way we're able to integrate the world and to interact with the real world. Um, I've been really moved the past um, year by a couple of books I read. Um, um, by uh, Matthew Crawford, the mm-hmm. philosopher, uh, motorcycle mechanic who wrote Shop Class as Soulcraft and um, Why We Drive uh, and The World Beyond the world, Your the Head. World beyond your head. Um, uh, and he talks about how the physical world and its limits and interacting with it in space um, puts a discipline on your perception in a way that always interacting in a virtual space cannot do. And I, I think uh, if you take away anything from this, um, it would be to interact uh, as much as you can with, with the real world. Um, I think it's fine to enjoy uh, something like ChatGPT for entertainment. Um, uh, don't look at it f- for the salvation of humanity. Um, be wary of messianic claims. Um, and uh, do your best to create real things that only humans can create. You are marvelous. You are more marvelous than any cyber system that ever has been or ever will be created. Yeah, that's true. And uh, before we close, too, I just wanted to say one of the things that you can do to um, keep yourself from being part of these things is to limit your uh, presence of various of your images uh, online. Um, I, I um, uh, ran across it's a real problem um, online facial recognition. So all these images of us are running around the internet, and for those of you whose images are out, it's a little the cat's out of the bag. However, um, there are uh, some researchers at the University of Chicago uh, made a program um, called Guy Fox, uh, mm. um, after the kind of recent anarchist um, thing, that actually alters your photo in a way that's imperceptible to humans, mm-hmm. but makes it impossible for the facial recognition algorithms to profile you based upon it. Oh, nice. You can, and so you can pump photos through this, and they'll become kind of a... Humans will recognize it, but um, the algorithms won't be able to. Just like the school bus. Like the school bus. Awesome. All right. Good tip. And Uh, don't forget, you are marvelous. You're marvelous.